Welcome to the Lord's House tonight. Very good to see you all here. And as we commence our service of worship, we want to begin, please, with number 576, Above Thine Own Ambitions. Here, another voice is sounding clear. It is the call of God to thee, O leave thine all and follow me. Let's stand, please, as we worship the Lord. Let's still our hearts, please, now before the Lord and come to him in prayer and just commit this evening service unto him. Our loving Father and our gracious God, we come to give thanks tonight for the joy of being 
in the house of prayer and praise to lift up our hearts, Father, for we have so much to give thanks for. We have been redeemed by precious blood. We have been washed and made clean. And we know, Lord, today our sins, which were many, have been all washed away. All of our iniquities have been laid on Christ, and he has borne them, and he has taken the wrath that belonged to us and was our due. And today, Lord, we are free, and we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. We have already been glorified according to your divine decree and purpose. And Lord, tonight we enter in with thanksgiving and worship and pray that our time in this evening worship, devoted into your care and cause, and that, Lord, there would be a blessing for every single heart, that we would know the Spirit of God speaking to us through the Word and that to this end you would anoint your servant tonight to speak the word of God with power and to faithfully communicate the word. Lord, give us open hearts. We know that so often we can be in the place of prayer, thanksgiving and praise, and we can be distracted. Other things come in. Lord, tonight we ask that we would know the stillness of eternity, We would know, help to understand and take heed to the Scripture, and that, Father, we would be blessed and equipped and enabled to go on from strength to strength, that our life and testimony would make a difference with those we come in contact with day by day. Lord, I pray a very high wall and hedge would be around every single believer And, Father, you would bless the youth and young adults of our fellowship and those that have joined us from other congregations, that as this conference comes to a conclusion tonight, that each one would go to their respective places and back to their homes, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with thanksgiving and joy, and being able to say, Lord, I want to serve with all my heart. Dear Lord, hear our prayer. Life at best is very brief. Father, like the falling of a leaf, like the binding of a sheaf, help us to be in time and to be about the Master's business. Father, take the word that was spoken this morning and in each of the meetings we have had and continue to Use it to the glory of the name of Christ. Remember, everyone who received gospel tracts, invitations, and witness audibly and personally, and bless those testimonies. And Father, may we hear of, even on earth, hear of those that have come to Christ, and if not now, that we will see them in glory. So, Lord, hear our prayers. Remember those in our congregation who are not able to be out tonight. 
Bless them where they are, in hospital, recovering from surgery. Remember those who are very near the edge of death. We pray for Reverend John Bodner tonight, that you would encourage our dear brother and be very near to him at this time and help his wife Dorothy strengthen her and encourage her. And may our dear brother know as he comes nearer to the time of his earthly departure and yet may he be ushered into glory with great peace. Hear our prayer. Bless him tonight, we ask. And others that are grieving the loss of loved ones, remember again the Richards family. And dear Father, help them at this time of their loss. Hear us now tonight. Remember all of our churches. Remember every mission station. We pray for the work in the Czech Republic. We're asking, Father, to multiply and strengthen and bless that ministry And may there be daily added to that work those that should be saved. Father, build, we pray, and bless. We think of the work in Prince George and in Williams Lake. And dear Father, encourage your servant here who is ministering to us tonight as he takes his departure tomorrow and goes back to his own place. He will do so with great joy and thanksgiving. And may there be increase in that ministry. And what we are asking for these mission places and churches, we ask that will be multiplied in all of our centers, all those who are close to us, part of our fellowship. Lord, remember also we ask those who are not part of our denomination, but yet who are faithfully upholding the crown rights of King Jesus, those who are faithfully serving Bless them, and may many, many souls be brought into the kingdom. Lord, hear our prayer tonight. Bless the testimony that will be given. Bless the ministry in song and every part of our service. We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Number 247. We're going to sing again to the Lord's praise. This is a well-known hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We'll stand pleased to sing.
summers when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Final verse. turn, please, in our Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 26, for our congregational reading tonight, and we will begin at the 18th verse, Acts 26. The account is of the Apostle Paul, as he was in the, is in the presence of King Agrippa and Felix. He is giving testimony And he is sharing what great things God has done for him. And as he shares, we're going to break into his testimony in verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance." For these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. When the Apostle Paul was able to give that testimony... He spoke freely of what God had called him to do, to be a light, to be a a witness. And as he spoke of that light and witness of what had happened to him, he gives us the very 
core points of what it is to be a follower of Christ and what it means to share what the Lord has done for us. And that's what our Christian testimony is to be continually. And you know, when you have spoken the word of the Lord and you have shared your faith and people look at you as if you are mad, you've got two heads, you're not very intelligent, never mind all that. We are the servants of the Most High God. We have been called by the King of Kings to go forth and spread His Word. And when we are doing that, we are following, we are obeying. Let the world say what it will. Let the devil bring his accusations against us. Let none of those things distract us from the great cause and the purpose that the Lord has for His people The Lord bless his word uh, to our hearts tonight as we have read. Welcome to everyone. We're happy that you're here in our evening service tonight. And if you have come back to be with us again, or you are viewing our service for the first time, or have returned online, you're very welcome. We're happy that you are here. Special word of welcome to our visiting pastor tonight from Prince George. Pastor Andrew Simpson, we've enjoyed his ministry so far in these meetings, and we are looking forward to the final message tonight that he will bring. We have had some visitors that have come to us from Mexico. We enjoyed Brother Manuel's testimony this morning and also welcomed uh, Brother Josue, and we're happy these men are here. They'll be taking their leave from us, I believe it is, on Wednesday of this week. And Brother Simpson and Elijah Foreman from Prince George, they'll be heading back tomorrow. But we don't want to rush them away. We're happy that they were there with us. And we do have a fellowship downstairs after the evening service tonight. And uh, we want you to all stay behind for that. Remember our brother James Fraser, one of our elders. He's ministering in Calgary for today and the next two weeks after this. And I know he greatly appreciate your prayers uh, for him. Mentioned this morning about the concern that the Delinas had over this past week uh, with their son Azriel, who wandered away and uh, got on a couple of TTC buses and on the subway and was found at the Woodbine subway station. Uh, I want to read out a little note here from the family of thanks. Dear Pastor and TFPC family, from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you for all your prayers, concerns, and care shown during the time of Azrael's disappearance wandering on Tuesday afternoon. Thank you for those who took the time to go around and look for Azrael near and out of their area. And most of all, we thank you for your praying and seeking the Lord's help For without the prayer of God's people, we don't know what we would have done. We are truly blessed to have a Christian family who watches and cares for each other. We cannot imagine the worst. We don't know how he managed to go alone for the first time, walking and taking the bus and train, and we wonder how he ended up at Woodbine Subway Station. And then a closing note. We thank God, our Savior, that Azrael was safe and unharmed, 
And we thank God for providing the police officers and the TTC staff who did their job well to locate uh, their boy, our boy. And they too were very happy to see him found and back safe again. The Lord is good, and yes, very good, and to him be all the praise and the glory. So we rejoice with you, Rowena, and also Brother Eric, and the girls as well, who were also very concerned when their little brother went missing. So we're happy. Asriel, we're happy that you're safe and sound, and you're back in the family again. It has been a, a real blessing for us to have the young adult conference that we've been planning for some time and now coming to the final service and the final meeting. And uh, we really saw this ministry develop out of our connect group that we started during the COVID time. And the motivation behind that was to cause a connection between the youth and the young adults in our churches across Canada. Well, it sort of developed beyond that. And we're happy that some of our brethren from Mexico and others who were online in the Connect group but could not make it up for this fellowship time, and then some others who wanted to come but uh, they had conflicting uh, dates and times and so on. But nonetheless, we've had a good start, and as the Lord will lead us, we will see how this will develop, and next year we will wait upon the Lord in that regard. We're very, very blessed to have the Schultz family Pastor Schultz, who is the minister in the Czech Free Presbyterian Church in Liberec, and his whole family have been able to be with us for some deputation meetings, coming also for these uh, conference meetings, and then also our brother will be bringing the word, preaching, giving report, and preaching next Lord's Day evening. He was in Berry Congregation this morning, and will be in Port Hope again next Lord's Day morning. Uh, but we're very thankful. We enjoyed the testimony of uh, Timothy Wednesday evening at our uh, prayer meeting and Bible study, the commencement of the conference meetings. And then tonight, we're looking forward also to the testimony of another of the family members. Before we get to that, we have a singing group, and all that were involved in these meetings, uh, we decided to sing and minister in song. And that includes not just the young adults, that includes some of those who are a bit more mature, which includes the pastor. And on this note, I might have to say that our sister Hyacinth was wondering, she was wondering how come she never received the email notification of these youth meetings. And I had to say, well, maybe next year, Hyacinth, maybe next year. Anyways, so young people, come gather now around the front. We're going to give message in song.
One of the great blessings of having a conference of this nature and of having the times of fellowship and of being together for fun, those are special. But I'll tell you the thing that is most special, and that is when we're together in the worship times and of hearing the young people singing and uh, coming together with great joy in their hearts. I was able to record just on my phone when we were upstairs in the upper room on Friday evening, the singing, and it was a great blessing. And then before the lunchtime this afternoon for all of our visitors, uh, there was a breaking out in song at the piano, and that was also a rich and a special blessing. So thank you all who took part tonight. May the Lord bless that ministry to everyone's heart. It's a joy to welcome uh, to our pulpit tonight to give a word of testimony, uh, Dr. Abby Schultz. We have known Abby from many, many years in this congregation here as she attended our Christian school for a number of years before God uh, called our brother Schultz over to his homeland uh, to commence a work there and a witness for the Lord in our denomination. And then it was eight years ago when uh, Milos Jr., uh, we know him as Mickey, as he was here along with Abby to uh, really complete their education from a grade 12 perspective and then be able to go back to their own land and continue their education. Well, they have done that, and Abby has completed her studies in medicine, and uh, she has now been given the degree of being a doctor of cardiology. So we're very happy about that, and uh, we want to call you up. Abby, please come uh, now and share just what the Lord has done in your own heart by way of testimony uh, tonight. It is a privilege to be here, to be able to share something from my testimony with you. It's a little bit scary, but <laughs> um, I'm very thankful to, to be here after eight years. It's a long time, and it's so nice to see so many of you again. And I would like to share something from what the Lord has done for me in the past few years. And I would like to begin by reading Isaiah 40, verse 4, where it says, Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. The reason why I chose this verse is because it doesn't seem too long ago that I was in grade 10, and um, I was a bit disappointed as I found out that it would be impossible to go to university in the Czech Republic after homeschooling there. It's a little bit complicated, but um, the whole story, but my older brother finished his high school and he could not get into a Czech university because they did not accept homeschooling. And I'm standing here now with medical school behind me. So with God, nothing is impossible. And as it says in this verse, the Lord can change any situation. He can make huge mountains of impossibilities in our lives a plain. He can make crooked places straight. So um, I think many of you might be shocked to find out that I am a doctor. I, I think I'm even more shocked. 
Actually, when I was when I was little, and somebody asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up, I used to say that I could be anything except a doctor. And um, I actually fainted at the sight of blood, and it made me feel sick. So, <laughs> I would like to share some of what the Lord did for His glory. Um, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home, and I was saved at an early age. I was actually four years old when I prayed with my mother that the Lord would forgive me my sins and save me for Jesus' sake. I knew my mother was reading a book about heaven, and I asked her to read, read out loud, and I, I just felt that I just really wanted to go to heaven one day. And um, so my mother prayed with me, and I'm very thankful for that and that my parents led us at an early age to seek the Lord. I was 10 years old when we moved to the Czech Republic. It wasn't easy, and it hasn't been easy. And as I get older, I realize and I appreciate more what my parents did, because it was especially hard for them at that time, um, leaving the church here, the school here, and friends that are literally closer than family. Um, on top of everything else, my parents decided to homeschool us, as I already mentioned, which was a great step of faith, because right from the beginning we knew it would be complicated, if not impossible, to get into a university from homeschooling. Um, but in faith, they decided to homeschool us. And um, as I mentioned, my, brother, my older brother finished his high school and found out it was impossible to get into a Czech university. So it's not like I loved studying or anything, but I remember feeling a little bit disappointed that I wouldn't even have the option of going to college after high school. Um, I also remember my dad encouraging me that the Lord knows and it is all in his hands, and with him all things are possible, and the Lord did know. And um, actually, right around the time we were dealing with this, Mrs. Saunders, Dr. Saunders, and Mrs. Sharon Kruger had been visiting us in the Czech Republic. And with their help, they helped us come up with a way to get some official exams done to be able to get into a Czech high school and finish the last year of a Czech high school and graduate really with a Czech high school diploma. So I actually, these three people played a big role in making it possible for me to study medicine. So thank you. Um, and now I would just like to shortly encourage my fellow young people who are maybe um, considering a career path. And just by telling you how the Lord led me to study medicine, especially when it was probably the last thing I wanted to do. Um, I did discover in high school that I enjoyed biology and chemistry, and I began to pray about possibly becoming a nurse or a physiotherapist or something in the medical direction, but actually becoming a doctor didn't even occur to me. It was my dad who brought it up. He asked me if I ever thought of doing medicine and why not go for the very best for the Lord's glory for the, and, and so on. The thought was scary. I did not want to do it. I did not think I was medical school material. Um, but I did pray about it, and it became quite clear that the Lord wanted me to at least try and apply. Um, right at that time, I read in my Bible reading the, parable, the famous parable of the Good Samaritan, and in Luke we read that the Samaritan saw the injured Israelite and had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And, and then at the end of the passage, Jesus, the Lord Jesus says, Go and do thou likewise. So that encouraged me in, the, in that. And also um, 
in a message, we, right around that time, several times, the verse came up, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. And so on. The Lord confirmed it to me in several ways, so I knew I, I had to try and apply. I don't have time to tell you everything that happened and about the miracle that I got into the best medical school in the Czech Republic and the miracle that I got through it. Um, also, to put you at ease, I don't faint when I see blood anymore. I fought blacking out several times during medical school, um, but I'm thankful to the Lord for helping me overcome that. It's definitely not something to take for granted. Um, and to conclude the story quickly, the Lord also, when I finished my studies, um, prepared an amazing place for me at my faculty hospital in Prague at the cardiology department and even the opportunity to work at and getting involved in some postgraduate work. Um, that is also a whole separate story, and it is so humbling. And I know that all the Lord did for me has a lot to do with the Lord blessing my parents' faith and their obedience in moving to the Czech Republic. I don't take any credit. The Lord did it all. And um, there are some big decisions that have to be made in life. And I really felt um, how important it is to know that it is the Lord, what it, the Lord's will is. There were t many times during my studies that I, where I felt desperate and had a good cry in the middle of preparing for my exams. I felt I couldn't memorize another word or read another page. But it is so special to be able to take that to the Lord and say, Lord, you chose this for me. I didn't choose it. You have to help me. And the Lord did. Um, so I really would encourage my fellow young people to be not be afraid to aim high for the Lord's glory if that is what he is leading you to do and I would encourage you to pray even for specific verses to hold on to and go back to when it gets tough um, I remember when I still before we moved Dr. McClellan said this quote I'm not sure if it is his quote or not but he said it and it always stuck with me that the center of the Lord's will is the safest and sweetest place to be so I would like to end with um, just a little part of a reading from Faith's Checkbook by C.H. Spurgeon, and it is on the verse, Psalm 47, verse 4, He shall choose our inheritance for us. And Spurgeon writes, Our enemies would allot us a very dreary portion, but we are not left in their hands. The Lord will cause us to stand in our lot, and our place is appointed by his infinite wisdom. A wiser mind than our own arranges our destiny. We choose that God should choose for us. Joyfully, we leave the painful present and the unknown future with our Father, our Savior, and our Comforter. Thank you. Thank you, Abby, for that message and testimony. What a great blessing it is to see how God's direction and leading in the life of a young one, and certainly one, a young person that we have known from the youngest of age. And uh, don't worry about your age, Abby. When you're 60, you only look like 40. So that'll be a great advantage. You won't have to worry about it then. Uh, but we are very thankful for the hand of God on your life and the blessing that, uh, that has been evidently so. We're going to come now. We're going to invite our brother Simpson to the pulpit to bring the word for tonight. And uh, we are very thankful that God has had his hand upon his servant. And we're thankful for the ministry that we've already enjoyed. 
and praying that tonight will be no different. So the Lord be with you, brothers, you bring the word. Thank you. May I invite you to take the word of God, please, and turn with me this evening to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel and the chapter number 16. Matthew's Gospel, the chapter number 16. And as you're finding your place there, again, I want to express my thanks to the elders and to the ministers here for the opportunity of coming along and being the speaker at the youth conference for this year. I want to thank the young people uh, for as much as I have been brought here to minister to you, you have ministered to me, and this has definitely been a time of refreshment for my own soul and encouragement for me in many different ways. I also need to thank my wife, who I know is going to be listening in this evening, and uh, she has had a couple of children to look after this past week, and I believe that uh, she's been kept busy, uh, but nonetheless, she's done well. And so Eddie will be watching in. I'm sure he will be behaving, I hope. You're being good for your mother. And then little Mary Grace is only just three weeks old, and uh, she's doing great as well. I was also glad to have the fun and fellowship yesterday, and it's nice to get out and take a day's break. And whenever I went on the water tube ride the first time, and uh, our brother Larry failed to throw me off, I thought I'd got one over on him, and I thought I was doing quite well. And then I realized whenever he took the Schultz sons out that uh, he wasn't going fast enough for me. And uh, he tipped them over, and I realized he was taking it easy on me. And I thought, well, perhaps that's because he's worried if I get hurt, he'll have to preach. But we finally convinced him, go out and do it properly. And then I understood why people talk about him and uh, his driving in that boat. And he threw me off twice into the water. Uh, but it was great fun and great fellowship to be had. And we're very, very thankful uh, for that. Let's read together this evening. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, and let's read from the verse 13 down to the end of the verse 20. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Amen. Would you bow with me, please, in a brief moment of prayer. And let's ask the Lord this evening for his help uh, for this final message of the conference, and uh, that it may speak to young and to old even this evening. Gracious and eternal God, we come again into thy presence. We ask, O Lord, for divine help. We need that power of the Holy Spirit to come and to infill us and to help us as we would preach thy word. Lord, make this message, Lord, a, a remedy for some soul. 
that is needed for this evening. And Lord, speak through thy word, we pray. Open thou my lips, and my mouth will show forth thy praise. For we ask it for Christ's sake and glory. Amen. Amen. When the Free Presbyterian churches in North America formed themselves in 2005 into their own presbytery and subsequent denomination, a statement of purpose was written to set forth the reason and resolve of this new work. In the last paragraph of that statement of purpose, there is a phrase that I like and I have often thought upon, and it says, with a sense of history and hope, the Free Presbyterian Church of North America launches into the work that God has given it to do with the prayer that the Lord will place the stamp of His approval and blessing on its labors. It's those opening words that I want to highlight for you in my introduction this evening, with a sense of history and hope. It's a wonderful little phrase that in many ways allows us to look back, but also compels us to look forward. It's a little phrase that helps us to appreciate our past, but also instructs us to attempt more for God in the future. Now, I believe as a denomination that we do know and we do appreciate our history. Now, we can always learn more about our history. We can always appreciate more about our history. But we do generally a good job to remember where our denomination came from and why it was formed. We're thankful for a separated, sound denomination. And for those men in 1951 who separated at great personal cost from the apostasy for the gospel's sake. However, although we have not lost a sense of our history, I do believe that we have lost a sense of hope. We have lost a sense of hope. Now, hope is very valuable for any person. It causes you to make sacrifices. It causes you to go the extra mile because you ultimately believe that it will be worth it at the end. That hope motivates you and drives you forward. Now, whenever a denomination or a local church loses its hope, that church begins to stagnate. It begins to go stale. And so it is vital for you and I as the Lord's people within this church, within this denomination, not to ever lose our hope. Now, hope is something that comes easier to us in our youth. Youth are generally more optimistic. They do not have the battle fatigue that many older people might have. They do not have the battle scars that many older people might have had to endure But why focus here on youth, especially in our youth conference, if the youth are meant to be generally the more optimistic? Well, it is possible for you, as I have said, to find a biblical church. It is possible for you to become involved in that biblical church. It is possible for you to stick through it, even in the struggles of that biblical church, and to have that good assurance that you are saved and truly are a part of Christ's church. And yet, as the years progress, and as you begin to get into the battle, and as you begin to get into the grind of church life, and you begin to bear in your body the battle scars of battle and ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ, you can very easily begin to take your foot off the gas. You can set it to cruise control, and you can kind of get into a state of just being comfortable. 
You're you're still serving in your congregation, but you're not striving with the same vigor and determination and belief and optimism that you once had before. You've become discouraged. You've looked around after years of service, and you've seen little fruit. There seems to be at this time no earthly reward for your earthly labors. And in a nutshell, with all of those things compounding one on top of another, you begin to lose your hope, and you become lethargic, discouraged, and downcast in the work of God. I believe in many ways that our denomination, to speak broadly, has in somewhat lost its hope. We have been through the battles over many years from 1951 until the present. We have had many things to oppose us, many men that have deserted us, many people that have walked away from us, many people that have come in and sought to cause disunity and disruption in the body. So how then can we recover the hope that we had at the commencement of our denomination? A denomination that said with history, looking to our past, but also with hope, looking to the future at what God would do. How can we recover such hope? Well, it was the great missionary William Carey who said that the future is as bright as the promises of God. The future is as bright as the promises of God. And so, if you and I want to rekindle and revive our hope, we must turn ourselves to the promises of God in Scripture And we must remind ourselves what God has promised His church, and that will revive our hope. I want to preach to you this evening the final message of this conference on the subject of the success of Christ's church, the success of Christ's church. And I want us to turn really to that one verse there in the verse number 18 of Matthew chapter 16, where the Lord Jesus Christ said that thou art Peter, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's three things we're going to draw out from this passage of Scripture this evening. And as I was instructing our young people this week on how to listen to to a sermon, I said so often, free Presbyterian ministers, we have three points, all alliterated, and that is what you're going to get this evening. There is the promise of success. Then secondly, there is the possession of the church. And then thirdly, there is the protection of the church. So look at me first of all here at the promise of success. The Lord Jesus Christ makes this declaration, I will build. Now, what type of building are we to be looking for? Is this a promise that He will come and build cathedrals? Is this a promise that the church will be built into some great edifice of architectural significance? No. The Bible reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 2, there in the verse number 5, that we as the church are living stones, that we are built up into a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God by Christ Jesus. And so the building up of a church is when people are born again of the Spirit of God, and they become living stones, and they are brought and placed into the body and into the building of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does he mean here when he says, I will build? How does Christ build his church? What is he building? What is he promising here? 
Well, first of all, when Jesus Christ says that He will build His church, He is saying that His people, His elect, shall be saved. And that every single one of them that He has loved from the very foundation of the world will come to Him and be saved. We see that guarantee in John's gospel in the chapter number 6 and the verse number 37, where Jesus Christ said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And there we see the cooperation and the working between the Father and the Son. We see there's distinct roles within the Trinity, that it is the Father who chose these people and gave them to the Son, but it is the Son who stands willing to receive them that the Father has given, in, given to Him. And yet we also see within that working not just their roles, but their unity, that the Father and Son work in harmony, that the Son is not standing and saying to the Father, you did not give me enough, or the Father is not giving those to the Son, and the Son is saying, I do not want them. There is unity between the Father and the Son. All that the Father has loved and chosen from the very beginning of this world, He gives to the Son, and the Son receives. This reminds us as a church that there is a guaranteed harvest. There is a guaranteed harvest. We are absolutely sure that there is a harvest out there. The Lord Jesus Christ has not returned the last soul of His church, the last stone, has not been put in place. And so He delays His coming, and He holds it back. And so that ought to motivate you and I this evening to go out and to compel the lost to come in, to go out and reach them with the gospel, knowing that we're, there's confidence that a harvest will come. You might be a fisherman, and you can go out to some of the great lakes here in Ontario, and you can go to a lake that you are almost certain to catch a fish in, and yet you can have a bad day, and no fish will turn up or come near you at all. And you can say with some sort of confidence, I believe I'm going to catch a fish today, and yet it doesn't happen. But when it comes to the harvesting of souls, we have absolute confidence that there is a harvest, and that there will be a harvest, because God has guaranteed it, and He has given it to His Son. But then also as well, not just shall these people all be saved, but these people shall all be secured. They shall all be secured. John chapter 6 and the verse number 39, John writes there in his gospel, he says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. I will lose nothing. And so the Lord Jesus Christ builds His church, gathering in His people, drawing them to Himself through the means of His Word and Spirit, and He's building and building and building up the church, and not one of those stones ever falls away. Not one of those stones ever somehow becomes dislodged and, and falls down into the rubble. No, every single one of them stays in place and is kept and secured in Him. What did Jude write at the end of his letter? Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. Christ saves and he secures and he keeps. And as he has brought us into this building, he has so secured us in this building. But also those people shall all be sanctified. 
It says concerning Jesus Christ in Ephesians 5, that the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, he brings these stones in. He sets them and he secures them in the building of his church, and he sets about the task of polishing them, of cleaning them, of sanding away every imperfection until at the very last there will be a beautiful spiritual edifice of purity and holiness and dignity. And so here is what Christ means when He says, I will build. He's building up this spiritual building of the church. But how does He do it? How does the Lord Jesus Christ build His church? Well, as God often does, God employs the use of means. He employs the use of means. Now, God does not have to employ the use of means. God can act directly as He will. We think about those who were converted on the day of Pentecost. And what was required in the day of Pentecost? Well, God sent Peter, the preacher, to stand up, and he was God's instrument of bringing the gospel to those Jews and seeing them converted. But then we think in Acts chapter 9, how the Lord Jesus Christ came directly to the Apostle Paul. And he did not use any medium or instrument. He came himself to speak to him and draw him to himself. But usually, normally, God uses means for the building up of his church. God uses the means of preaching. He uses the means of preaching. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, going to a place where the Greeks would exalt their wisdom, where they would exalt their oratory, where they would exalt their skill and craft of speech. Paul writes, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so Paul is saying here, listen, away with the world's wisdom, away with the world's gimmicks and understanding and 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 focusing on oratory and trusting in oratory and so on. Give us just the plain, bold preaching of the Word of God. That is how God saves them that will believe. And so we ought to pray today for preachers. We ought to pray today that God would raise up young men willing and able and qualified to stand behind the pulpit and declare and herald the Word of God young men who are willing not just to stand behind a pulpit, but young men who are willing to go to the streets, the highways and byways, and compel them to come in to Christ. And perhaps as we would just pause here for a moment, maybe there's a young man in this meeting tonight, and you're praying over your future. You're wondering, God, would you have me to go this way or that way? Have you thought about the ministry? Have you thought perhaps that God has given you the gifts that are needed to furnish a man for the ministry that is his. Perhaps that's something you should pray about, talk to your elders about, seek counsel about. Or perhaps even now you feel the Spirit of God striking that chord in your heart, and you know the Lord's doing something here. You feel it. The Lord's speaking to me. This man's talking about the ministry. Is that the call of God in your life? We need ministers. We need preachers. 
This is how this whole conversation came about. The Lord Jesus Christ had been preaching and preaching and teaching the Word of God. And then he says to his disciples in verse number 13, Whom do men say that I am? Now, he's asking these questions for a purpose. He knows exactly the answer, but he's drawing out eventually Peter's confession. And some are saying that he's John the Baptist. Some have said he's Elias. Others, Jeremiah. And the Jews were thinking that because in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, it says how God would send Elijah back to the people of Israel. And so they were thinking perhaps this is Elijah back from the dead and so on. But then he asks them more specifically, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. How did Simon know that? There's two ways. First of all, by hearing the preaching of the Word of God. By hearing Jesus Christ preach the Word. But then also, by the working of the Spirit upon the Word in his heart. Because Jesus says in verse 17, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, human wisdom, human understanding, has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And so what we need to pray for today is Spirit-filled preaching. Is the Word of God being preached with clarity and authority, but the Spirit coming along and attending His Word. That is the means of God building His church. And although we make application there to our ministers and to our preachers and needing men for the ministry, yet all of us, in a sense, can be called to carry the gospel. We're all to be witnesses. We're all to be evangelists in that sense of wherever we go, we're to carry the gospel light with us. But then there is also prayer. Another means that God has given for the building of His church is prayer. You read in Acts chapter 2 in the verse 2, when the disciples and apostles were gathered in the upper room, and when they had prayed, what says? The Holy Ghost came down, and they were filled with the Spirit. And once they were filled with that Spirit, they went out and they began to be witnesses. But they needed to pray. They needed to pray. Acts chapter 4 in the verse number 31. Again, we read there concerning whenever... Peter has come back after being arrested. And it says there, when he comes back to the, his disciples, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. God blessed his church in the midst of public prayer. We are a Reformed denomination that believes in the necessity of prayer for divine blessing upon our work. It's sad to say today that there are many Reformed churches that no longer have any prayer meeting. I think in Prince George, in the city where I am, there's only perhaps one other church out of the 50, 60 churches that there are in that city that have a regular prayer meeting. That's a sad tale and sign of the state and spirituality of our land. Our denomination was born in prayer. I trust you all know about the 36-hour prayer meeting that took place with Dr. Ian Paisley, John Douglas, and another man on the Ravenhill Road in Belfast. The Free Presbyterian Church had been formed at that time. It was breaking away from the Presbyterian Church in Ireland due to apostasy and compromise within that denomination. But in many ways, 
It was that prayer meeting that was the catalyst for the divine blessing upon this denomination. It changed the ministry of Dr. Paisley, and subsequently, through him, changed the face of Christendom in Northern Ireland, and has led to you and I being here this evening. But we were born in prayer. We were born in prayer. And as you study the history of this denomination, whoever you study of our, of our early fathers, you will find them being blessed and energized by the Spirit in the place of prayer. We need to carry on that biblical practice and denominational tradition of gathering in the place of prayer, because that is how God builds His church. But then also as well, God uses His people. We see here in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16, as Peter is speaking, and Christ now replies to him, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. Now, you know that this is one of the most disputed passages in all of Scripture concerning the structure of a church. The church of Rome takes this passage and draws out many weird and superstitious doctrines, such as the supremacy of the Pope. The idea that there is one man who is to be the representative of Christ on earth, one man who has total control over the church, and not just over the church, but actually over every nation as well in this world. And so he assumes to himself the offices of Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king. But whenever you read the text, and you read it plainly, it's very obvious that what Christ is saying is this. Listen, you are Peter, and you are going to be a man that will have historical primacy within the church. And Peter did. He was used in Acts chapter 2. He was used in Acts chapter 3. He was the apostle to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And Peter did have historical primacy in the church But there's nothing here that indicates that he had some sort of papal primacy over the church. We read in Acts chapter 15, he was subject to his brethren at the council of Jerusalem. We read there in Galatians chapter 2 that he was rebuked by Paul for bringing division into the church. And so he was used of God. He had great influence of God. He was a stone. He was a rock, a firm foundation for the church, as it says in Ephesians 2 verse 20, that the apostles would be given as the foundation of the church. But the rock that Christ then speaks about is his confession. Thou art Peter, you are a rock. As an apostle, Ephesians 2 20, you will form the foundation of this New Testament church. And I will use you in the infancy of the New Testament church to strengthen it until it can walk with elders and pastors. But it's the rock of your confession that I will build my church. Because it's upon that very confession that people are brought into the church, that they're made part of the church. This is a saving confession. This is a confession that looks alone to Christ as our only hope in life and death. This is a confession that secures the Christian in Christ Jesus. And so the Lord does use His people. The Lord would use His apostles. He would give to them authority and power, the keys of the kingdom in verse 19. That authority 
of discipline and governance over his church, yes. But still, the rock here is that confession that Peter made. That would be the confession upon which people are birthed into the kingdom of God. But secondly, this evening, notice the possession of the church. Notice the possession of the church. We've thought about these promises to the church. I will build. And we have that absolute confidence that the church of Jesus Christ will be built up. But now notice the possession of the church. Notice Christ says, I will build my church. Not Peter's church. It's not his church. I will build my church. The church is Christ's through redemption. He has purchased us with His own blood, Acts 2 and 28. And because He has purchased us, we belong to Him. The church is Christ's possession through His headship over us because He is the head of the church, Colossians 1 verse 18. But Christ is also, or the church is also Christ because of lordship. Psalm 45, He is our Lord and we should worship Him. Now what happens whenever it comes when we do not see the promise being immediately fulfilled. We do not see Christ's promise immediately before our eyes being fulfilled of the church being built up and people being born again and brought in and numbers swelling and people really on fire for God and so on. What happens when we don't see that immediately before our eyes? Well, the first thing is the pastor begins to sweat because everybody turns and blames him <laughs> whenever things are going wrong. But secondly, people then begin to find fault. And people begin to think to themselves, well, the reason why we're not growing is because of this. It's because of that particular view or requirement that we have. The reason why we're not growing is because it's so awkward when people walk into our building and they see that we're more formal in our attire and it's off-putting. That's the reason why. And then after they fault-find and they nitpick, then people begin to strategize. And they begin to say, well, this is what we need to do. This is how we attract people. And they begin to come up with strategies based upon the flesh. Now, don't get me wrong. If there is fault in a church, it should be dealt with and removed. If there is something that the church can do to evangelize the community in a more effective way, then it should be done. But the idea that we can simply just turn the church into some sort of organization where we apply marketing skills to the church and thereby we'll get a great congregation in and we cut standards and we cut biblical truth and then we come up with other strategies to push the boundaries, to get these people in, to appeal to their flesh and so on. That is not how we are instructed to ever do church. What should we do? What should we then do when we do not see the immediate promise of Christ being fulfilled? When we do not see people in our congregation being born again? When we do not see people growing in grace the way we would like to see Him? We go to the one who owns the church. We go to the one who has said this is His church. And we go back to Him and we say, Lord, this is what You've promised. Lord, you have said that you would build your church. This is your word. This is your promise. And you have said this is your church. Lord, 
do as you have promised. Do as you have said. We ought to go to Christ and seek again the reformation and revival of our churches. We ought to go to Christ when we are discouraged with the aspects of our church life and ministry and so on, because it is His church, and He can lead it. If you were in your workplace, and you had a manager that gave you a certain job description to do, and you carried out that job description as you were meant to do to the best of your ability, and then everything failed, the whole entire enterprise failed, or the marketing scheme, whatever it was, failed, and then the executives of that business came in, and they looked at you, what would you do? You would look to the manager, wouldn't you? (laughs) And rightfully so. And you would say, I was only doing as instructed, and this was his idea, and in many ways, this is his company. He is the authority. My friend, don't turn on each other. Look to your Savior, whose church this is, and pray that he would fulfill his promises. But lastly, notice with me the protection of the church. We're given a further promise that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. Now, what is meant here by this term, gates of hell? There is some variance among good commentators as to what exactly is meant here. But let me say that I believe the gates here are speaking about rulers and leaders. The gate is often used in the Old Testament as a place where the leaders or rulers of a city would congregate together. You read that in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1 and verse 11, 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse number 8, how the elders or the rulers of the city would gather at the gate of the city. And it would be their house of parliament, so to speak. That is where they would go to dispute things. And so we understand the gates there as the rulers, as the leaders. But then he goes on to say that the leaders, the rulers, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And why does he say hell? Well, there is no greater concentration or no greater place where there is a greater concentration of people who despise God and despise His church than hell. And so what Christ is saying is this, listen, you take the very devil who sits at the gate of hell, the one who has led captives into its fiery darkness, the one who has all of his demons and everything that would rise up and disrupt the church, you take them and all of the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this world, and you take all the forces of hell, they will never prevail over my church they will never overcome her. She at the end will always be victorious. She at the end will always overcome and triumph. And so we have this promise, and we see even the great extent of this promise, that people will be saved, that people will be secured in Christ and sanctified in Jesus Christ, and our churches will build and grow until the day of His coming, because nothing will overcome His church. Let me add in here just a few quick caveats. That does not mean that Satan cannot hinder a church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18, 
Paul writes there, Satan hath hindered us. We're not exactly sure how Satan hindered them, but he did. They were hindered in their missionary enterprises by the principalities and powers of this world. It also doesn't mean that God won't judge a church for their sin. Revelation chapter 2, the verse number 5, as the writer here, the Holy Spirit, writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come on to thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of this place. What is the candlestick? The candlestick is the church, the light of the gospel. I'll remove it. I'll take away this church from you. I'll remove my presence from you. But also as well, it doesn't mean that sin cannot spoil a church. That sin cannot come in and hinder its outreach and activities. That sin cannot hinder our times of prayer. It also does not mean that there will not be natural periods of growth within a church and also natural periods of decline within a church. There are churches scattered around northern B.C., church buildings, I should say, and they were built in their day to, as a place of worship for all the miners and all the loggers that would live out, outside of the cities during the, the summer months and so on, and now they're empty. Does that mean that we're somehow in decline? No, it means that people simply moved away from where those places were. I remember about three years ago, I was looking on the internet at just some of the, the local history around Prince George, and I saw this beautiful town called Giscombe, about 50 minutes northeast of Prince George, and I thought, that's such a beautiful, quaint, little western town. We're going to go there. And so I got the family packed up in the car, and we drove up these logging roads and everything, and we got to Giscombe. And we looked for Giscombe, and we could not find Giscombe, even though there was a sign that said, you know, Giscombe, and so on. And the story actually is that probably around 20 years ago, they came in and just demolished the entire town because nobody lived there anymore. The logging enterprise had died and so on. The church was no longer needed. That's really why I was going to look at the church. And it was all just demolished and taken away. Does that mean decline or does it just mean the natural workings of an economy and people moving? And there can be times when in the church when there can be decline for certain economical reasons societal, cultural reasons. People might move away. There's other times when churches might boom. It seems to be that a city is thriving, plenty of work and plenty of youth, and a church will grow. And so when the Lord says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, He's not saying that Satan can ever hinder a church, or that God won't judge a church, or that sin won't spoil a church, or that natural periods of growth and decrease won't happen. But what He is saying is this, as you look over the history of His church— the church will always be victorious. She will always be victorious. And on that great and final day, the Son will present to His Father a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And He will be able to say, I have built my church. And the gates of hell did not prevail against it. Oh, my friend, I pray in closing that perhaps you have lost your hope. Perhaps you're still in the midst of service. 
but you're an autopilot. Perhaps you've lost your sense of zeal. Perhaps you've lost your sense of vision and ambition to do great things of God and expect great things from Him. Well, I pray tonight that as you look to the promises of God in Scripture, that that hope within your soul might be revived and strengthened again, that the church is not depending upon you for success, but ultimately depending upon Christ, and that you would be revived, and that we would be known as a denomination and as a young people of hope, not because of who we are or what we can do, but because we are hopeful in the promises of God. I believe there are great days ahead for our denomination. I believe there are better days before us than what we have ever experienced in the past. And I base that on the truth that I have a Savior who keeps His promises. And I pray that tonight that you would trust, believe, and hope and what Christ has promised for us. I'll seek the Lord in prayer, and then we'll pass back over to Pastor Saunders. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the promises of Scripture. Lord, they have never lost any of their gleam or brightness throughout 2,000 years. How often, O Lord, it's our eyes that grow dim, how often it is, O oh Lord, that we fail to see them and embrace them in all of their glory and expectation. O oh, fill us with hope again, knowing that Jesus builds His church. Lord, we have faced many discouragements, and we will face many discouragements. And as I look tonight over the congregation of young people that you've gathered here, inevitably they will face discouragement. But, O oh Lord, I pray that in every time that they would look to Jesus Christ, look to the rock of ages, and that as Elijah was revived, Lord, through the water and through the substance given to him by the widow of Zarephath, O oh, I pray that our youth would be revived by the promises of God. Lord, bless, we pray. Amen. Well, we have faced a challenge tonight, and the Lord has given us His Word. And what a great encouragement that is, that there is hope and not despair. The devil would always want us to be looking inward and looking at all the deficiencies. Well, there are those plenty. But nonetheless, we lift our eyes heavenward, and we can rejoice in all that He has promised, and our eyes are upon Him. We're going to sing number 583. And as we close our meeting tonight and our conference, we face a task that is unfinished, that drives us to our knees, not to despair, a need that's undiminished, rebukes our slothful ease. We rejoice to know Thee, renew before Thy throne the solemn pledge we owe Thee to go and make Thee known. Let's stand, please, as we sing, and sing it prayerfully. Unto the Lord.
Amen. Let's bow, please, before the Lord now in prayer tonight. Our loving Father, we are thankful for the word, thy precious word which we have received. And we ask again this night that this truth would be powerfully written on every heart. Father, we pray for the generation of young men and young women that are coming to take over the position that is being vacated by faithful saints of God going to their long rest. We're asking, Lord, again to raise up this new generation to carry on the witness in this location here, to carry on the witness of the Church of Christ, which has been promised to continue until our Lord Jesus returns. Therefore, Lord, we are not in a defeated position. We are on the victory side and living and working and serving Christ, our great Redeemer. Therefore, Lord, enable us. Put that conviction within the heart of every single one. Lord, we cannot hope or expect that the younger generation will come forward without watching and seeing the example of those who are older. And therefore, Father, it is incumbent upon those of us who are longer on the road of our faith not to capitulate, not to give in, not to lose hope, but to rather lead the way forward and to show with confidence that we trust in a sovereign God who is over all, and that, Lord, we are not going to cower to the devil's threats or temptations, defeat the wicked one, we pray, and do not allow him to cause any stumbling blocks to be put in our way. Carry us forward, Lord, we ask, to do your will and to accomplish the great cause for which the Church of Christ has been established. Lord, hear our prayer tonight. We are thankful, Father, for all we have received, for the rich blessings that have come to us, for the spiritual heritage that we have. Help us, therefore, to go forward, conquering and to conquer, onward Christian soldiers. Lord, put that spirit within every one of us. And so, Father, continue now, we ask, as we go downstairs and have our time of fellowship, let us eat and drink to the glory of Christ. Let the messages and the word that we have heard over these past days not evaporate or just leak away. Rather, Lord, empower and encourage and strengthen each one. And it may be, Lord, that the Spirit has been speaking to and touching the heart of some young man, some young woman, about what more that they can do for the Savior, how they might serve, what is the will of God for their life. Father, we pray that every heart will be open and willing. So hear our prayer tonight. Encourage our hearts 
And Lord, for any who may be outside of Christ tonight, either here or listening online, dear God, we are asking that you would save by your sovereign grace and that there would be an understanding of sins forgiven and of peace with God. So, Lord, hear our prayer tonight. Separate us in your love and with that great grace and until we meet again. For all these things we ask in our Savior's precious and holy name. Amen.